Did you know in 2016 alone, uh, Los Angeles police arrested 14,000 people experiencing homelessness for everyday activities such as sitting on sidewalks and like having things moving? Did you know that? No, I. Why? Why? Welcome back to Snapshot Atlanta. I'm your host, Denor Sapolian. The clip you just heard was Terrence Lester, founder of Love Beyond Waltz, a nonprofit that exists to provide dignity to the homeless and poor by giving them a voice, visibility, shelter, community, and support services to achieve self-sufficiency. This episode's a bit of a departure from some of our previous ones and deals with issues that carry a lot of emotional weight. Terrence and I's conversation had a lot of silence in it, and we intentionally left that in there to let you, as a listener, really hear what he has to say. Um, where did this all start? Yeah, so uh, Lovey and Wall started uh, a little over five and a half years ago under a bridge in the heart of the city. Um, it was December 2013 that I had gone home to talk to my wife about uh, potentially living as a homeless person in the city. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, please tell me how that conversation went because that is that is really out there. I mean, how do you, did you have a family at that point? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I had uh, two kids. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 uh, and, you know, a wife, uh-huh. um, 2013. So that's six years ago. I've been married 13 years now. So, um, you're talking about almost seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was married seven years at that point and, yeah. and to go home and ask my wife, um, could I do an awareness campaign to bring attention to homelessness by living as a homeless person? She looks at me and she goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And um, oh my gosh! So we're at dinner, and I told her why. I had she she knows that you know we we've both done you know work community work mm-hmm. and working with those living on the margins, and so uh, we make a, a high priority uh, priority focus on relationships. And I have been b- building this relationship with this this guy named Kurt. Uh, he was living behind the building in the heart of the city, and uh, we had been having breakfast for like three months. Okay. Uh, um, and one day, man, I just got, you know, the courage to ask him uh, to take a step. I, I was like, Kurt, you know, why, why, why don't you want to live in a shelter, man? At least get, you know, from behind the building and I could make some connections. And he looks at me and he says, man, he, he's like, you don't know my story. You know, what do you want from me? And I was like, well, what are you talking about? And for the first time, he shared with me that he had lost his wife and child in a car accident. He was the only one to survive. Uh, he was working a job, started uh, using alcohol to cope as a consequence, and uh, just couldn't function anymore and ended up losing everything and found himself on the backside of a building. I mean, he became depressed uh, after the grief. And... He, he turns to me and he says, man, there's a shelter close by. Um, if I go there, I'm probably going to stay up all night. 
uh, because everything I own is in this bag and I don't want it stolen. And then he says, it's very uncomfortable. He says, the smell is so disgusting and thick, it's almost like you can taste it. It's only one urinal in there, and it's just uncomfortable. And he's looking around at the trash that we were standing in, which was his own. He says, it's more comfortable out here than being in that shelter. So he would have rather been be living behind this abandoned building? I'm assuming it was like yeah. a warehouse type thing? Well, it is just like a... A normal brick building probably used to be like a, a office space or something and yeah he was he was like yeah um, like that is better than that going is better. to shelter but then the story turns man he he challenges me he says i bet you won't go and go and stay in the shelter okay he says and if you do uh probably in the middle of the night you're probably going to get up and come out here with me because it's more comfortable out here and i'll never forget that conversation on the ride home which prompted me to ask my wife so that was the catalyst that was the catalyst i got you and uh uh long story short my my wife agreed and i remember my wife and my kids dropping me off i wasn't able to stay in the shelter but dropping me off under a bridge in the heart of the city of atlanta and it was december man some of the coldest weather Mm -hmm. out it was a wind chill it was raining and my wife looks at me and she says, there's no turning back. Um, I didn't take anything with me. And I, I kissed my kids, like, uh, not bye, but I'll see you later. And I said that. And, um, yeah, it was it was a few days before Christmas. Oh, so <laughs> that <laughs> you could have chosen, like, the summer or something to do this, maybe spring, better, well, better weather. And, and, and that's the thing, man. It's – for me, it was it was this sense of urgency. I got you. Um, you know, it's it's the sense of now, and I always uh, used to have these dialogues with uh, a, a mentor when I was kind of going through my process of development. He, he would always say this quote: "Never put off uh, for tomorrow what you can do today." And um, Okay. And we've also heard uh, Steve Jobs when he's given talks uh, to graduating classes where he's he's saying um, the thing that drives me the most is knowing that I won't be here long. So it's this sense of urgency, man. What can I do right now um, that kind of push me to want to take a stand, even in the most uncomfortable situations? Because the reality is that people who hold false perceptions of people living on the streets, uh, they have a choice to walk over to a thermostat. I, I had yeah. a choice. I could have stayed in the comforts of my home, but I wanted to make a statement to educate people about the realities of what people suffer through. And so you, you convince your wife, and you you know you kiss your kids goodbye, and <laughs> <laughs> two days before Christmas, nonetheless. And so, and you had nothing. Nothing. At that point, no. just the clothes on your back, and 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 that's about it. And you were you were dropped off in in the heart of Atlanta. Yeah. What did you do? Man, so it was this it was this um this bridge right by the seventy five eighty five Turnpike Grady Turnpike. And uh, I remember walking towards where all of these tents were set up. Um, and uh, this guy walked up to me. His name was um, 
I'll just use Greg. Um, and uh, he asked me what was going on, if I, you know, and I kind of told him like what I was doing, and um, immediately, man, he kind of like embraced me and introduced me to the community, and um, immediately, man, people started saying, "Well, what do you need to sleep?" So they rallied together and got me a tent. Like people would have extra tents to like house bottles of waters or donations or whatever people would bring and they got me a tent and then uh, somebody offered me a blanket and then um, somebody gave me a pillow and before you know it I was you know kind of embraced by this community which was countercultural to what you normally hear about uh, you know the stigmas around people who are experiencing homelessness. So you were you were from the get-go you were honest about exactly what you were doing with anybody who was willing to ask you the question yeah and it was it was really respected um i'll never forget uh my friend he he said you know most people come out and they pass out like flyers to us or they um give us things and they leave uh but the thing that like speaks to us is that you're willing to stay yeah and um it wasn't necessarily all on my, just about me and my willingness to stay. It was, I think, I was just so compassionate. I wanted to, you know, advocate, give a voice to, man, befriend, uh, walk with, dwell with, um, and hopefully uh, help some people get off the streets, which we were able. I was able to reunite a bunch of people with their families. Reunification is is one of the fastest ways you can get somebody out of homelessness. How how did you reunify some of these people? Phone calls. Really? Yeah. Conversations. Asking hard questions. When's the last time you talked to your sister? When was the last time you spoke to your mom? You know, when was the last time uh, you were around your family? And most people we all deal with shame right we all deal with guilt and shame and uh, it can be very detrimental Uh, we all have come from families that are you know call them dysfunctional or not not put together whatever you want to call it but like you go through the process of making mistakes and you find yourself uh, living on the street sometimes people just deal with shame and and don't even want to reach out because they're embarrassed uh, to ask for help, which we got to push back against in this culture. Asking for help is not weakness, it's a sign of strength, right? And so, yeah, um, just reached out, man, had some honest conversations. Yeah, which we don't do. <laughs> <laughs> um, how long How long did you stay for? Yeah, I, the first time it, it was for a week, the second time an entire month. So, so after that first week, you you come back home and and what were you feeling at the time? What what were you Man, thinking about? Everything was different. Okay. Um, and it's almost like too, man. When when you go through a campaign like that, mm-hmm. you have to have a you know people you can reach out to and and kind of like talk because so many things just opened my eyes. Like I remember standing on the street corner and. People didn't know I wasn't really homeless, but, you know, I don't want to say I was posing, but I was out there and I was going through these experiences with my friends and we we were begging for dollars, holding signs, right? Mm-hmm. 
You had uh, people that would roll down their window and say slurs. You had people that would uh, throw and chug cans at us. You had people that would just, like, you know, shoo us away, like make the hand motion. Um, and then you had uh, you had 11 people. I remember one day I counted all of the, all of the people we had, 11 people out of 427. They didn't even know we were out there uh, raising or begging for money for my friend's medication. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for drugs or alcohol. Um, and then you have, uh, I remember one time we were, I don't know, we were walking, man, to a shelter. It was nearing, what, 10 degrees or something that night. It had been raining a little bit, and I had gloves, not gloves, but socks on my hands, like glo- for gloves. And we would walk like two miles to this space, and we were like 10 minutes late. And the, they wouldn't take us. The shelter wouldn't take you. It wouldn't take us. Or I remember, you know, us getting up in the morning. It's like, yo, like, how are we gonna eat? And my friends, like, yo, we gotta have to pray for food. Or let's like walk down to the McDonald's. And sometimes, like, standing outside of the McDonald's, people give you change, and you can get something off the dollar menu. And so we started towards McDonald's. It was early in the morning. You know, around the time that uh, business professionals are out walking and stuff like that. And by this time, like, I'm starting to look. Yeah, because the clothes are wearing. They're they're stinking. Um, Probably haven't shaved or anything. No, man. Yeah. Uh, I was literally transforming. And and so we're walking on the sidewalk down by the Capitol. And, you know, lo and behold, you see the professionals look at us. And they uh, whisper to one another and they cross the street. And, like, going through those different experiences, you know, post that experience was, it was hard to um, just go back and into normal life. So I had to, like, really talk to people. And, mm-hmm. um, it, yeah, but all in all, man, it deepened my compassion, my empathy, and, uh, you know, my, my uh, desire to advocate. When you saw those people at the uh, opposite end of the street start, looking at the group you were with and whispering, what do you think they were saying? I don't know. Probably let's, let's walk across the street, uh, which is basically saying let's get away. Yeah. Yeah. And if you had a chance to talk to those people or say something to them, what would, what would you say? <laughs> like you don't know the story. You don't know the story of Tasha that was laid off her job. You don't know the story of Mark, uh, who became homeless after caring for his grandmother uh, when she was ill. Uh, you don't know the story of Robert um, and how he was his first exposure to crack cocaine was at age 12 by his own mom. Uh, you don't know the story. And, um, you know, I, I, I would tell them, get to know people, become proximate. Uh, you know, instead of looking looking at me or my friends or anybody else uh, as something to be discarded. So you get back, you start Love Beyond Walls officially. Yeah. And where did that name come from, first of all? Uh... So, it, I mean, it, it goes back to uh, the b- business professionals that walk past. You asked me the question, 
you know, wh- what do you think they thought? Whatever they thought was a wall. <laughs> it created a wall, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and not just with, like, you know, between those that have and those that don't, but, like, between races, between, yeah. um, uh, you know, men and women and like all of these walls are kind of erected and like if i if i were to ask you what what's what's the only thing that has the power to deconstruct and destroy walls is love um so love beyond walls what were the first few days like once the campaign was successful and you 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 know you had this idea what did you do next i always uh tell people man like i'm i'm after the low-hanging fruit uh, the easiest thing. <laughs> okay. uh, and so I like the honesty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was no, nah, the next campaign was actually inspired by uh my friend Tony that was living underneath the bridge. And did um, did you meet him while you yeah, were I, I met him. Um Tony gave me his uh his last pair of donated socks. Because my toes felt like popsicles, because my shoes were wet and my um, my socks were wet. So you were you were, and then this was he, in yeah, the Atlanta winter. Yeah, he uh, gives me these socks, man. And um, did he ask for anything in return? Or he didn't. And I, I remember the first thing I was like, I gotta get Tony socks back, and you know I started to notice how everybody's socks were damp and wet and all that stuff and so I, I just wanted to do something really basic and I think we had raised like I don't know 12,000 pairs of socks and I'll never forget uh, you know showing up again just to hang out in my normal routine and I had all these socks and he was like man wow like it was just like a um, a feather in our friendship man yeah yeah so when you're starting campaigns like this, um, because there there have been a lot that have been successful. I think you also you, you did this 70 mile walk, if I'm correct. Oh uh, yeah, that was the was first that? walk. That was a, a 31 mile walk. Okay, what was that well, about? Yeah, so I started correlating every campaign that I've had done with the actual experiences that I had gone through mm-hmm. uh, with living on the streets. I, I got this idea. I put a Fitbit on uh one of my friends that were li- was living out there and I tracked the number of miles that he would take in a week just walking just around. Just walking around. Yeah, cuz yeah. people don't really realize like uh when you're homeless like you sometimes you walk 30 miles, 50 miles, 70 miles, 100 miles a week. <laughs> that's crazy. That's yeah. that's insane. So I mean, yeah, cuz like it's not like you could just hop in the car and no, you like can't. you're walking and moving around a lot. And so yeah, uh, I think one of my friends had walked like 30-something miles, and I was like I was going to walk a mile uh, th- uh, just to educate people about the, the physical tiredness that you have when you're out there. So it's like... Yeah, walking 30 miles, 40 miles a week, that's, yeah. that's crazy. So I, I walked out in a day, and uh-huh. uh, at the end of it, that's when we were able to, <clears throat> you know, reunite some, some folks with their families.
I, I wanted to ask you, have you have you gotten any naysayers or haters or, or people all that, the time? All the time. What do they say and how do you react to that? Because I would think from my <laughs> perspective, like what you're doing is really good. Yeah. So what what problems would people have with it? Man, man, I've I've gotten death threats. Uh, what? Yeah. Why? Like I was I, I remember when I did a campaign, I stayed on top of the bus for a month. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In a tent, uh, man, I had people sending me emails talking about I was an unfit parent. Uh, oh my! You God. know, death threats. Uh, you know, I was a cult leader. I've been called that. Uh, a cult leader. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, um, I've had people take shots at me for wanting to start a museum uh, that represents homelessness, uh, and basically the idea behind that is to strip the microphone from the person who is controlling the narrative, the dominant narrative, yeah. and place it in, in the hands of people who have actually gone through. So, you're you're not getting educated from secondhand information; it's coming straight from the source, right? And uh, using that as a way to build empathy, but also um, greater than that, man, as a way of changing the narrative about how people experiencing that plight are is viewed. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I've, which you, you you're young enough, man. You call them trolls, right? Trolls. Oh Everybody yeah, 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 yeah. trolls, bro. Little <laughs> <laughs> trolls. That's crazy. Yeah. What you you get them, man? What do you? So what do you do? Do you do you just ignore them? Do you? Let me tell you, man. I was. Uh, so MAP18 was a campaign that our organization launched. It was last year. It was March Against Poverty 2018. I walked from Atlanta all the way to the Lorraine Motel. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how far is that about? Close to 400 miles. So you, so you walked? Yeah. So, yeah, and I made it there on the day of the celebration of the MLK 50th. Okay, yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, wow, and I wow. got a chance to to speak on stage in front of the room that he was assassinated and talk about, you know, like what he was fighting for before he was shot and killed, which was uh, poverty, right? And so along the way, man, I walked through these southern states and, you know, had people calling the police on me because I was walking while black. I had people try to, like, hit me with their trucks and their cars. I was called out of my name. Um, I experienced a lot of racism along the way. And there is a, a point that I had to get to within myself because I, I was still seeing a lot of poverty as I was walking, and I was researching doing demographic studies of the area. And I I, I decided to keep going. And my, I had some people ask me, like, why don't you just stop? And I was like, no, because the people who are mistreating me right now are also poor, and I'm walking on behalf of them as well. If you are affected by the issue that I'm advocating for, I'm still advocating for you. Love beyond walls, bro. I've done about six of these interviews now, and and one word that keeps coming up is community. Yeah. And I've asked this to everyone that I've interviewed so far, and I've gotten very different answers. And so I'm interested to know, what does community mean to you? When I think about community, I think about home. Home is a place where you are accepted, uh, where you are included, where you feel like you belong. Even if you don't own a physical home, 
Home could be in a relationship with someone who accepts you. Home could be in a barbershop or like in a, a book club. You can find home any and everywhere. That's what I think of when I think about community. It's a, it's a safe place uh, where you feel like you fully belong. A special thanks to Terrence for his time and being a great guest. He recently published a book titled I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People. If you'd like to check it out, we've linked it in our episode's description. Next week, I talk to Jack Griffin, founder of Food Finder, a safe, secure, and award-winning mobile and web app that gives food-insecure children and their families a way to find free food assistance programs quickly. This episode is a product of Audiographies, edited by Jacob Smolin. The music was created by Yolanda Weathers, Trey Leon, and Keenan Willis. This episode was sponsored by no one, but it could be sponsored by you. Please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash audiographies and consider becoming a patron so we can keep bringing you stories like this one. You'll get access to behind-the-scenes content like photos with our guests, unedited interviews, or bloopers like this one right here. We'll see you in the next one.